0: Welcome to Urbanism Vancouver, a podcast that looks at how we can make Vancouver a better urban experience. Together, we'll dive into the workings of our built environment in Vancouver and discuss how we can get involved in our community. Hi, I'm Helen Lui. With every episode, I hope to share with you some insights from my industry experience and explore how we can make Vancouver a more livable and affordable place. I hope that you will learn a little and perhaps be inspired to be more involved in impacting positive change. Before we get started today, we want to acknowledge that this podcast is recorded and produced on the traditional and unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, including the Musqueam, Squamish, and the Sewatooth nations. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging and recognize the enduring connection they have to this land. We strive to have our conversations contribute towards reconciliation and work towards sustainability and equity for all the custodians of the lands. You're listening to the first episode of our brand new podcast. I'm excited to have you with us. As we journey through this series, We'll explore all things housing and, as you'll see, the many things in our built environment that are related to where people live. On today's episode, I'm joined by my producer, Aaron Johnson you're going to hear a bit about us, about our experiences navigating the public discourse on housing, and also a bit about why we decided to start this series. Later on in the episode, we'll hear from Michelle Scar, a young professional trying to navigate the housing market in Metro Vancouver. She'll share with us her experiences searching for affordable housing and her eye-opening introduction attending local council meetings. So let me bring in my producer, Aaron. Hi, Aaron.
1: Hello, Helen. How's it going? <laughs> it's going great. Nice to see you. And this is exciting that we've got this project going <laughs> and, and here it is.
0: I know. It's definitely exciting times. I'm so glad that we're doing this. And I think it's good timing considering all of the mounting public discourse on housing.
1: First off, I think I should interview you and say, Helen, what is your background and uh, what is your experience that you bring to the show?
0: Yeah. So I work in the real estate development industry. My day job title is a development manager, and I've been doing that for almost a decade now. I kind of started my career working for a not-for-profit housing developer. It was a really great experience because it was my first kind of exposure to the industry, but also where I learned a lot about how challenging it is to build affordable housing.
1: And and not just that, just building in general, right? Like, let alone affordability. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think because I started on the non-market or the affordable housing side, I used to be one of these people that was skeptical of development, right? Like, I used to be someone who used to think if it wasn't for profit, we would just have so much affordable housing. And it wasn't until I went through the whole process of learning about how this gets done that I realized, oh man, like so many of the things that I have to deal with trying to deliver affordable housing are the same things that regular for-profit development deals with. And it just was a bit like of an eye-opening experience. And then on top of that, when I do, you know, work on these, like, because these are really great projects. They're like partners that come together and trying to make the most impossible situations feasible. And then on top of that, create affordability. And I was just so shocked to see some of the feedback from the public when it does, you know, come forward. And it was just mind blowing to me, which is why I in addition to kind of what I was doing on my day-to-day job, just thought, like, how is no one advocating for this? How is no one going out there and screaming at the top of their lungs? Like, why aren't we making this easier to do? That's kind of what spurred a bit of, you know, advocacy by attending public meetings, by following along with, you know, what's going on with the city, the province, the federal level, but then also meeting like-minded people on Twitter and online and kind of building a bit of a community there of other people also ranting and experiencing this insane frustration of like, why do we not have better cities?
1: Great. And then my background, I'm over 20 years experience in broadcasting. So started in radio, college radio, went into commercial shortly after that, then studied audio engineering out of high school, moved overseas and then worked in television for a while. Came back to Canada and I've been working in radio and doing a lot of podcasting in recent years. Done big projects for major companies all the way down to just kind of freelance projects and everything in between. I discovered you on the platform formerly known as Twitter.
0: I'm forever going to call it Twitter.
1: Yes, yes. (laughs) I don't know how the algorithm decided that your rants are what I needed (laughs) at that time. And so I enjoyed your rants, started following you but then my relationship with the platform got to a point where i'm like i'm done so i started going through the list of who i'm following on twitter and i reached out to you because i went to your profile and i'm like hey there's no link to like a newsletter or a website or anything on your you know profile i want to keep up with your rants i'm deleting this <laughs> this app and then we ended up having a coffee and chatted for a while and i think i said i can see that you need an outlet this is what i yeah. do why don't we captain planet this and with our powers combined, like let's, let's make this series. And so, yeah, here, here we are. I mean, my goal with it is to have a resource as I even try and navigate housing in Vancouver. And it's like, how do these decisions get made? I walk around the neighborhood and there's a, a bunch of things that puzzle me. I'm like, why was it developed like this? Why isn't there this Mm -hmm. service here? Why isn't there, you know, why isn't there a bike path over here, but there's a bike path here. Like, you know, just everything about the city and the environment of my neighborhood in Vancouver, how did you get to that state? And then kind of selfishly, like I've learned a lot editing so many podcasts and so many shows as well. So it's kind of a, a great experience for me to not only create content that is supportive for others, but also I'm learning in this process as well. And you've had some fascinating conversations with some people already as we've been working on this and can't Mm -hmm. wait to share that. Yeah. That's kind of my mission statement of like why, why I'm here and why we're doing this.
0: Yeah. And I think I've learned quite a lot too, just through the process of one thing, for example, that I often complain about is I'm so close to it all, like, because I'm working on this day to day, sometimes when I talk about it, and especially now working on this podcast, it feels like I kind of have to almost step back and peel the layers off and be like, okay, where do we start to explain? Because it's so convoluted, and there's so many different things that get involved in answering a question like, why is something built the way it is in a certain neighborhood versus or even why is a bike lane here versus somewhere else? And I want to go back to something that you've previously said about the state of media and perhaps some of the information that's already out there about housing and about development. Because I know you and I have talked about this quite a bit, right? Like, certainly there's so much public discourse about housing already. Like, you go on Reddit, you go on, you know, Global, CBC, there's always like a soundbite or a very flashy title about what's the latest in terms of trying to get affordability. But I feel like perhaps there's a space, there's a gap in terms of that very accessible information to an average person who wants to get enough information to understand where they could go about learning more or finding more resources, but perhaps don't understand all the jargon and all the complexities that come with some of the more business or kind of economics kind of focused lens on some of these discussions.
1: Yeah. And I don't want to feel like I'm ragging on any of my friends in the media industry at all. I think the big thing that's lacking for me personally, I feel like I'm coming in halfway into a conversation with a lot of the media coverage where they only have two, two and a half minutes to kind of get the story across of whatever it is in whatever news bulletin they have. And to me, I feel like I'm missing out on a lot of context as to, well, what do these words mean? What is this phrase that this politician's using? What does that actually mean in context? And I hope that we get to debunk and solve and define a lot of that in the series and kind of give the space for that context for anybody who is interested in the stuff of How does affordability in constructing housing work? How can we build better infrastructure? You know, we're not not to give it completely away, but we're also talking to a transit expert in the series as well. And how does transit relate to housing? The big thing for me is giving the platform in the space for knowledge to help people make better decisions with their local governments. Yeah. There's big policies that are happening and big changes that are happening right now that do affect you and I in different ways and the listener in different ways, depending on where they are in the city. And so I don't think we're trying to push any particular agenda with this series. It's just, here's how this all happens.
0: Yeah. You were talking about a resource for providing people with more information as to how things kind of get done. hmm and yet when we look at the voter turnout for something like our municipal elections and what people believe a mayor can do, it's so, it's so mismatched in terms of what the reality is. And that's something that I've had to learn as well as an, as a grown adult. Like I'm sure there was like a social studies course somewhere in grade 10 or 11 that, you know, they taught this, but it isn't until like the reality of you living with The consequences of council's votes that you realize like, oh, my God, like this is actually ongoing and this is happening in our city. And like, how do I even go about getting involved? One of my goals really is if we could inspire people to even get a better understanding of what is actually happening at councils and what impacts of those are, it would go a long way to just the general engagement of people living in the city in order to have better actions, better changes going forward in the future, which is so important because if we don't, those are the things that can kind of push residents out of our region because of Lack of the voices that we need in order to contribute to some of these discussions. So, yeah, I think one goal for me is if we could see action coming from the podcast of people being like, oh, I'm curious about this. I want to learn more. Or, oh, I didn't know this was happening. Maybe I could, you know, go and find out more about council meetings or listen to one or write into one.
1: Or, why isn't there a school in my neighborhood?
0: Yeah. How does that happen? Yeah. Uh, To inspire a bit of curiosity and perhaps a bit of action. That's a win. And that's a success in my eyes. Yeah. It's also a bit of a social equity question, right? Because in my perspective, Everyone is entitled to their opinions and everyone has a right to go and talk to council and council obviously has to do things that are reflective of what they hear from the residents. What I'm seeing currently is that a lot of the people who do have the ability to access that engagement obviously come from a place where they have more time, where they're more likely to be retired, where their English is very likely their first language. But we have a lot of people living in the city who don't fit in those categories so how do those people learn more? How do those people become more aware and educated and be able to tap into some of these discussions?
1: And I mean, I'm a thirty something white male and I'm <laughs> even confused on how to engage totally.
0: council. Like Yeah. <laughs> yeah <laughs> my, and English yeah. is your first language.
1: So and English
0: is my yeah, first So language. what hope does yeah. somebody have if they're like, you know, I think about like my immigrant parents, they would never follow along, right? To a council meeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Well, great. And with that, Helen, I think we should get into the episode. Looking forward to uh, what's developing with this series.
0: Me too. I'm very excited to dive right into it. I want us to start this series with a bit of groundwork. Though housing and affordability are top of mind for most people, there's a pervasive misconception about where the focus needs to be in terms of resolving some of our key issues. While many believe the federal government plays the primary role in addressing the housing crisis, the real influence often lies at the municipal level. And although the federal government provides essential funding, the power to shape our neighborhoods largely rests with local municipalities. Most people recognize their mayor and past mayoral candidates, but fewer can name their sitting councillors. These elected officials, which include the mayor and the councillors, make decisions on city operations, including policies on land use, building forms, and design criteria. Most of these processes also require that they seek public feedback in the form of public hearings or city council meetings. The meetings are often held during the day or in the early evening. If you have never participated in any of these meetings, let alone watched any of them, you're in the majority. And when people first hear about this process or participate in a meeting, it's often a shocking experience. I want to introduce you to Michelle Scar. Back in the summer of 2021, the city of Vancouver was considering a proposal to allow up to six stories of rental throughout the arterials in the city. A lot of my housing advocacy friends knew about this, but other than that, None of my friends or peers, or even coworkers who worked in development, knew about this. It was something that I knew would benefit a lot of people, particularly younger people who were looking for housing. So I made a post on Reddit and called on folks to email or call the city in support of this policy.
2: My name is Michelle Scar, and I'm a young professional who would like to move out of her parents' house someday. Tell me a bit about yourself
0: and coming across this post online that I had made on Reddit and learning about, you know, the whole process of how public engagement works.
2: Yeah, I think I saw your Reddit post exactly the right time because I had just moved back to Vancouver from Ottawa. And I was watching a lot of urbanism YouTubers, like not just bikes, people like that. And in Ottawa, I lived in this neighborhood called Hintonburg, which is a super cute neighborhood. I had a two-bedroom apartment. It was right next to a grocery store and a cat cafe. It was super walkable. I loved it. I loved living in Hintonburg. I was also a short walk away from work. It was, it was amazing. And then when I moved back to Vancouver, I was moving in with my parents out in the suburbs because, of course, anybody who lives in Vancouver or near Vancouver knows, well, anyone in the world knows, Vancouver is really expensive. So yeah, it just wasn't in the budget. I moved back in with my parents. I came across Helen's Reddit post. I think I was just in a mindset where I was really ready to like do something about this housing crisis and this Reddit post that was like calling out for people to call into the city hall meeting about this streamlining rental program just seemed like a no-brainer for me. I took the opportunity to write some comments in and I also watched the meeting that was discussing it and heard lots of crazy things.
0: (laughs) This was Michelle's first time experiencing a public hearing, and she said it was an eye-opening experience.
2: Well, if you've never listened to one of these public hearings, you should, because honestly, nothing I say will properly explain it. These meetings are just, it's like, it's worse than fiction. Like think of Parks and Rec. It's actually worse than that. These meetings, they're not representative of the people who the new housing is going to benefit, right? Because the people who this new housing would benefit, they're looking to move. They're busy people. They're working people. They're parents. They're young people like me. They want to have lives outside of outside of, of objecting to new housing in their neighborhood. But if you live in the neighborhood, the city like will send you a postcard that says, hey, we're going to build something in your neighborhood. And they're framing it, this like thing that you should have your voice on, but... The neighborhood residents, like some of these people are just (gasps) okay. One of the most memorable things, she literally said, if you put up this apartment building, the shadows are going to give people seasonal affective disorder. Like, we live in a place nicknamed Raincouver, and you're like, (laughs) you're worried about the shadow of a building. Like, it's just the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life, and that's going to stick with me forever. Yeah, like you're not worried about people not having homes, but you're worried about. Yeah, no, it's just it's it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It makes me really mad.
0: I do recall listening to that public hearing together. There were some pretty disparaging comments. And sadly, that's not uncommon for these public meetings. In my experience, a vocal minority are most represented currently at our city council meetings. The misconceptions about what cities can or cannot control, in addition to lack of general awareness about how cities make decisions, are often high barriers for residents to get involved. On top of this, meetings are held at times that are inaccessible, making it difficult for people working with additional responsibilities outside of work hours.
2: It really does only reflect the opinions of people who have the time, have the means, have the awareness even of all these issues. And it's kind of a ridiculous way to run a city, like asking people to weigh in on every single thing that's happening when it's like, that's why we vote. We're voting for people to run the city. They should do their jobs. They should make some decisions. They should run the city in the best way they can. Also, when you call in for one of these hearings, you're given a number and then you have to watch and see like when you're supposed to call in. So they have a Twitter account that like posts like what number they're at and they also will send you an email like half an hour before you're supposed to call in. The whole process is really ridiculous and makes it really really difficult unless you're somebody who, you know, lives with their parents and has a lot of time on their hands like myself. <laughs> yeah, like I I don't know. I have I know some like working parents who like they will never have time to call into these things because It's a ridiculous ask to have people set aside their entire evening, sometimes multiple days for these public hearings. I think my friends are now quite aware of it because I talk about it a lot. (laughs) But, yeah, most people are very surprised when I tell them about how these hearings work. Honestly, like nobody follows municipal politics in my generation. Burnaby's voter turnout was like 19 percent Last year, 19%. Municipal politics has way more of an impact on your life than any other level of government.
0: Michelle's experience with the public engagement process is unfortunately what often happens when cities need to make policy decisions. We have a lot of knowledgeable and experienced staff, but because decisions are often highly politicized, there's a lot of scrutiny that happens, and it often requires city staff going back to ask the public for their thoughts. I asked Michelle about some of the things she's learned about what municipalities actually control and why it's so important for people to be aware of these issues and to have their
2: say at the local municipal level. So municipalities control land use, like zoning. Literally, they could just change a couple bylaws and legalize like six floor apartment buildings and corner stores throughout the city. And that would be something they could do for like next to no money. And it would be really good for the climate. It would be really good for housing affordability. It would be good for me who wants to move out of my parents' house. But it would be good for so many people. I asked Michelle how people can be more involved with some of these important decisions. I think honestly paying attention to what's going on in your city is one thing. But of course, like you said, like that's that's a lot of work. At the very least, I would love it if more young people voted, especially, especially at the municipal level, because like a handful of votes makes a huge difference. And like I said, like these people have way more control over what your city looks like, what your day to day looks like than your provincial or federal representatives. If you're really passionate, go get involved with your local municipal party. Go volunteer with them. They're super cool people. I was actually working for one of the parties last election. And I had so much fun. I've never had that much fun at a job before.
0: Despite all of the frustrations Michelle has experienced so far, I think she still has a lot of hope for what we can do to improve these processes and make our cities better for everyone. I asked what
2: her ideal neighborhood would be. It would probably look a lot like Hindenburg, where I lived in Ottawa, except it would also be where all my friends and family live. I would love to be walking distance from my friends so that we could easily hang out, easily access lots of different shops and grocery stores and yoga studios and, I don't know, like fun things. Like it would be a neighborhood where people take care of each other.
0: Thanks, Michelle, for coming on today and sharing your insight. Thanks, Helen. Thanks for having me. What Michelle experienced is probably what most would when hearing a city council meeting for the first time. Although there is some online presence for these meetings, it's 2023, there are and should be better ways to communicate with our local governments and not be reliant on third-party, foreign-owned social media apps. Much of local politics, as well as the public's engagement with them, is spent arguing over whether a few homes should be permitted in a specific location. For example, the debate of whether a property should allow three, 30 or 300 homes is such a micro level focus that it really misses the greater context. Our cities should be focusing at the neighborhood and regional scale and whether we have sufficient housing. These meetings take up a lot of our city staff's time as well as the time of our elected officials. Unfortunately, these are also resources that are all very limited and on a tight budget. Instead, we should be asking why certain homes require arduous requirements while others don't, especially when we consider the differences between building apartments versus larger, detached homes. We should also be asking why only very limited areas are open for density, while others have maintained very low density. Cities need to focus on the larger objectives, such as planning at neighborhood or citywide levels. This is where, in my opinion, much of the focus should be and where residents need to come together with city officials to discuss how to make our communities vibrant, livable, and equitable. These discussions also need to take place in a way that is more accessible to all residents so that we can have a broader perspective that includes our current residents and future generations. On our next development, we'll be diving into some of the complexities and realities of trying to build affordable housing. I hope you'll join me for our next conversation. You've been listening to Urbanism Vancouver, the podcast dedicated to bettering our built environment. Be sure to follow us on your listening platform of choice so you don't miss our future releases. I'm Helen Le. Thanks for listening. This podcast series was independently funded and produced by myself and Erin Johnson. Visit us at urbanismvancouver.com.